Hello, and welcome to the What's Next podcast. My name is Liz Smith, owner of Liz Smith Law, and on this show, I share conversations to investigate building and leaving your legacy, estate planning for young families, supporting aging loved ones and parents, and other topics around aging, death, and other life transitions that will affect each of us. This is your source for hard-to-find resources in Southeast Alaska and beyond. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get each and every episode of our show. Hi, this is Liz Smith, and for this episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different and talk to you, interview myself, basically. I don't know that this will work or be interesting. Uh, It could be something that I do in the off weeks between talking to guests that I'm interviewing or it could be something I never do again. If you have questions you'd like me to answer, or if you like this format and you like the information, please let me know. This will only be the fourth episode of the podcast, and uh, I'm not actually sure that anybody is listening yet. So uh, you could let me know that as well if you found any value from the podcast that we've had. I'm excited for what we have to come, and hopefully it will benefit to have the information that I'll be sharing on the podcast from guests. I feel like I don't, well, I started listening to a podcast recently in Juno. I found it through another guest that's about real estate. It's what Juno about real estate. And it's, it's great. They have a lot of episodes. It's a couple of real estate agents and they talk about different real estate age, uh, issues. And I have found it really helpful. I have fascinated by real estate and I think I'm four or five episodes in, but it's enjoyable. So you should check you should check that out. Um, but what's nice about that is that they're very focused on a single topic. And what I see happening, I have a very broad array of interests, but my connecting piece is what I think would be interesting to clients. But to me, that can expand very broad. And because the podcast is what um, I'm talking about transitions in Southeast Alaska, I've been (laughs) taking the liberty to expand that into other areas. But I guess I'm doing it for myself as much as anything. And if I enjoy the conversations, and maybe you enjoy how I'm not much of a speaker, I'm more of a writer. So that's interesting. But if I bring you some great guests, then uh, hopefully at least some people out there will find, find value in it. And hopefully you can find the episodes that interest you. All right. So with that, I thought today that I would talk about some basic planning concepts and think through questions that I hear clients have often or occasionally, but something that you might have a question about really when we're thinking of the planning, uh, estate planning side of things. And so thinking about what what I consider estate planning is is thinking about how to prepare so that if you are incapacitated or when you die, that you have a plan in place. And let's see, I don't even have a list that I'm going to go through. So I'm just going to think of things and talk about them. Um, so what when I say that, what came to mind was really diving into incapacity. And I think that, well, let me say this. If you are out there and you do not have a power of attorney and at least a single healthcare agent 
nomination where you're saying who you want to make healthcare decisions for you. If you cannot, then stop this right now. In the show notes will be a link to free power of attorney and healthcare forms, documents, um, if you're an Alaska resident, that you can download, print, fill it out, and take it to a bank or somewhere else to get a notary. Do it right now. And let me tell you, tell you why. So the first, the power of attorney, you're deciding who you would want to make business decisions for you if you cannot. You can make that either effective immediately upon signing or upon your incapacity. Hopefully you're choosing someone you trust. And so I really recommend that you choose or that you, um, if you trust them, (laughs) that you make it effective immediately. Not all my clients want to, and that's fine. But what happens in the event of an emergency, if you say only upon incapacity, then um, somebody has to get a physician or a couple physicians to say that determine that you're incapacitated and can't make your own decision. So that is another hurdle that can involve a long wait, that can involve a cost of an evaluation or will involve both those things. And so by making it effective immediately, you take out those steps. Now, also with the power of attorney, you can decide what powers you want to give that person. I would say broader the better. I use actually a different, I do both the state form with clients, but then also another one that's even broader. I think the most, it's just going to make things easier. And we'll get to the point of, of why. Well, I'll hint it because you get to avoid court. So that's power of attorney, someone to make business decisions for you. You're going to name an agent and then backup agents. I recommend listing two backup agents. So now that I think of it, the state form may only have one, but at least one backup. And that's going to kick in if your primary agent is unavailable or unwilling, which might mean they're just not able to for some reason. So the power of attorney. And then thinking about who you want to make health care decisions for you, if you cannot, that's only going to kick in if you are unable to make your own decisions or communicate in any way. And again, you're deciding who you want to make those decisions for you. The state form does have some questions about the type of decisions you would want to be made. Different, something about um, decisions if you were admitted to a mental health hospital, some decisions about what you would want at end of life care. They're very uh, minimal, but there's some decisions there. And well, that's about it. So the <laughs> healthcare power of attorney, both should be notarized, have to be notarized. And like I said, you can get that done. So why, why do that? Right? You might say, look, you know, one reason is because then you're deciding who's going to make decisions for you. Well, you may think, I'm not worried. My family is really close to me. They're going to make the decisions I want. They'll decide who's going to step in. That's great. And I'm really excited for you. But how are they going to get to make those decisions? If you're in an accident and they have to do deal with bank accounts, deal with insurance, start um, if they need that power of attorney and or health care, they're going to have to go to court if you don't have a form. So that's going to be a waiting process and there's going to be fees associated and it's 
it's not straightforward. I mean, if everyone agrees, it's not a big deal to get someone appointed. But again, that waiting, that waiting period, I was just, uh, sometimes I represent people in conservatorship and guardianships through the court system. I'm appointed by the court. And I was recently involved in a case that was an emergency um, or not a drastic emergency, but we wanted things the hearing to happen really quickly. And we just needed a really short hearing. And we had to wait at least a month and a half or two months just to get in to see a judge. So you're looking at waiting. And then <laughs> if someone gets appointed conservator or guardian, they are the court's going to monitor them. And so that involves filing something every few years with the court. And if you trust your family, then that's that's just an extra burden on them to be involved. I met someone this summer, and when she found out what I was doing, she shared a story that her mo mother had been really healthy. Everything was doing, um, she was doing great. And then she had a stroke, and they got uh, her, her, the woman I was talking to, her brother appointed, and she was expressing just how hard it was um, to deal with the, the actual appointment of guardianship and deal with the court process. So, and then of course, if you think people might argue about making healthcare decisions, then you definitely want to nominate your agent. Um, I could tell another story about that. Maybe I will briefly. And that is um, a young woman who, uh, a good, good friend of a colleague of mine, and she was thinking about getting these documents in place, hadn't done it. She was in a car wreck. And she, that was years, I think about four years ago, and had a brain injury, was in the hospital for months. And now she's out of the hospital. She's, forget if she's able to live on her own yet. But anyway, her mother went to court to get appointed as guardian. And her mother made decisions that didn't fit what she would have wanted. So I know that she was going to appoint someone else as her agent rather than her mother. And I also know that when she was in the hospital for many months, that her mom decided that all, she had a really close group of friends. She was living away from home and her mother didn't let any of her friends see her because she thought that would interfere with her healing. And, uh, the, you know, now she, she, is still under a guardianship with her mom, which is she wasn't. So couple thoughts on incapacity decisions. Again, get the documents. Um, if you're interested in more information about healthcare, I think it's really, it's something I'm really interested in. So a prior podcast episode with Shauna O'Sullivan, listen to that. She lost her husband at a very young age and talks about, um, going through not knowing what he what he wanted and having to make decisions. And then also you can listen to a talk I gave with Vance, attorney Vance Sanders for the end of life foundation. Is that what it's called? Foundation for end of life care, excuse me. And Sean O'Sullivan is the president of the organization and they had hosted Vance and myself and Vance talked about the incapacity planning and there's a good description. He actually goes through the form. So I will put a link to that presentation as well. All right. 
Let's move on from, or no, I'm going to say one more thing. Sorry, I was talking about healthcare. So with the agent decision, your agent's going to make most of your healthcare decision. So it's really important if you have specific wishes that you make sure they know the decisions you would want made. You can talk to them, you can leave notes behind. And then there's also other documents other than the Alaska form you could use. So one would be five wishes. And then I have a different form I use with just my clients and there are a different document that we modify as well specific to them. So I'd be happy to work with you on specific language. Uh, there's also, I just became familiar with a couple of dementia directives, actually a number of them. I will put a link to those in the show notes as well. So, okay. I think that I started to talk about what estate planning is. No, I guess I did finish that. So let's talk about, uh, let's talk about death. Um, and thinking about planning. I don't need to get too general here. I'm trying to think of what specific topics I might cover. The very basic thing that you want in place, of course, is a will. A will allows you to decide who you want to play in certain roles and where your assets go. I'm not going to get into too much here. I'll link to uh, that presentation I just mentioned with the Foundation of End-of-Life Care. I talk about wills there and what they are. That's kind of less. Um, and then I do uh, webinars regularly, and I can post a link as well. Or you can look on the website um, at events for upcoming webinars where I cover wills and trust just very generally. So I want to get into some more specific questions that come up a lot when you think about planning for death. So one thing I hear often is, well, when I get older, I'm just going to put my children on the title of my house. And then when they, when I die, they will inherit it. All right. So if you live in Alaska, and you put your children on your title, they will not inherit the entire house upon your death. That's issue number one with that plan. We only have what's called the right of survivorship in Alaska for married couples. So that means, well, I own my house with my husband as husband and wife. And that means that when I die, if I, or let me say, if I die first, he would own the house entirely, 100% uh, by matter of law. Okay. If we were not married, legally married, and we had just been living together and bought a house together, as I work with many couples in that situation, then we couldn't have that right of survivorship without more concrete planning. Um, so we could own it as uh, he and my and me. And if I die first, then my share of the house would go through uh, probate if I didn't have a will, or no, I'm sorry, If I, even if I do have a will, um, but if I didn't have a trust or other more advanced planning, then my my half would go, um, actually, if we weren't married, then my half would go to whoever my heirs are, which in my case right now would be my mother. So that would be fun, right? If my husband and I weren't married, and I didn't do any planning, and then I died, then he'd suddenly own a house with my mom. Probably not that fun. So that's also what's going to happen if you had your kids on. You're going to die and they're going to, your share is still going to have to get divided amongst them. So problem number one, problem number two, if there is significant uh, equity in the home, 
Um, this is particularly true with uh, rental properties um, because of some taxation issues. But right now, when one person dies, uh, um, they can pass on that home to their children and adjust what's called the cost basis. So what that means is for tax purposes, um, the children could decide they want to sell the home as they go through a state administration after your death, and they wouldn't pay capital gains taxes at that moment. Or if they decide to sell it 10 years later, they may owe some tax, but it would be less than if you had done things different, if you hadn't kept the house in your name until you died. If you add your children to the home and then you die, they're going to inherit the basis uh, that you had on the house. So what that means is if you, whenever you bought the house, if that was 30 years ago, um, when your children go to sell it, they will pay uh, capital gains tax on the value between when you purchased it and when they sell it, rather than if you had just held the house in your name, then it would be based on the date of your death and when they sell it, the time period. So uh, big, <laughs> big consideration there. And the third is if you have multiple children and leave them all home <laughs> as, um, like, well, this doesn't really matter if you're adding them to the house, but if you leave a home to multiple children, it can get complicated for them. So there's lots of ways around that. And I'd be happy to talk with you about ways specific to your family and what what you could do uh, beneficially. There's a couple of different options uh, from a living trust, transfer on death deed, and more, but depends on your situation. Now, I know I'm doing piecemeal through different topics, but I want to talk a bit more about trusts as I don't think that they are widely understood, which makes sense. They're just why, why would you know, I guess? <laughs> but I want to talk about trusts and some different uses so that you're aware. So one type of trust is a revocable living trust, otherwise known as just a living trust or a grantor trust. And that in, for the most part, is a really great tool to avoid probate upon death. So what's that mean? Probate, which I'm not getting into a whole lot here, but it involves court. It takes a long time. It is public and it can be expensive. Um, so if you don't want to do that, then so probate is for any assets in your name at death. There's some types of assets that rarely go through probate, like life insurance accounts and retirement accounts. And that's because there's a beneficiary designated as long as you have an adult named who can can receive the assets, then you avoid probate with those assets. But other assets are going to go through probate if they're in your name. So with a living trust, you name, or excuse me, you your, your trust owns your assets. So you would transfer your home, for example, to the trust, transfer the other items in your house, etc. So it's used in that way to avoid the court process upon death. There's some other advantages. I like them as it makes planning a little bit, can make planning a little or a lot easier in terms of fluidity and having everything in, together in one pot. 
it can make it easier to divide. There's other reasons, but the in essence, or in most for the most part, the living trust is used to avoid probate. So that is one type of trust. It is not, it's a separate entity in some sense, but that living trust is going to use your social security number. It, there's not a lot of maintenance to it or none uh, once it's uh, set up and funded properly, but there also is no, it's not a protective mechanism. So I don't create a living trust to then move assets into it and keep them uh, protected for, from creditors, for example. So then there's other types of trusts. In Alaska, we have something called a domestic asset protection trust. And that means that the Alaska legislature has allowed uh, for people, not even just Alaska residents, but there has to be some connection with Alaska to create a type of trust while you're living that can protect your assets. So that type of trust is extremely advanced planning and it is not a great tool for a lot of people. But there's something else that you could give your family upon death. You can basically set up an asset protection trust for your loved ones upon your death in a way that's much, much easier than using your own assets while you're alive in a vehicle like the Domestic Asset Protection Trust. And so that can be done through a will or a trust and in terms of what you're, you're expressing your wishes. So you could, let's say, create a will. Oftentimes people with minor children create a will and then leave assets to their children in a trust. You have to if you have minor children, right? They can't inherit. And so you're going to give them a trust assets and trust. And then usually they're good, the children get the money at a certain age when they're an adult and you get to decide that as the parent. But what you could do instead is leave assets to your children in a trust for life. So what does a trust mean in that instance and what, how does it work and what is it? So in that type, when we're talking about that type of trust, you really see the three different roles of the trust. There's the grantor or the settler. That's who's putting assets into the trust. So if I have a living trust and for that living trust, I'm the grantor or the settler. And then if I die and I've determined through my trust instrument that I want 50% of whatever's in the trust to go to my nephew in a trust for his lifetime, then I am still the grantor of that trust for him, right? So that's rule number one. And then I'm going to decide, well, who do I want to control that money, right? So who, what does that mean? That person, they're called a trustee, and they're going to decide how to invest assets. There and then how to spend them for the benefit of the beneficiary. So I might decide, well, you know, maybe my nephew is unlikely to ever be great with money. And so I could decide, I could name a trust company um, to manage the money and then decide on distributions, or I could name a good friend. There, you can name whoever you want. Or I could decide, well, I want my nephew to be able to manage his own trust at a certain period in time. So that's one 
Well, I'll get into more. But the other thing you could do is you can also create a trust for multiple people. So I'm listening to a book right now that's really exciting to me called Entrusted. And they're talking about different ideas to leave a legacy in a way that can boost family, but not take over, right? So maybe not make it so that family members can't work if you have that type of to the type of money that could make that possible, um, but set up something different. So maybe you decide that you want to leave all of your estate to go to um, descendants in your family for education purposes only. Well, you could decide who is going to take care of the assets and then set up some kind of management structure so that people could in the family could essentially apply. So you're almost setting up a family grant um, and they could apply to use that money for their education expenses. That's just one idea. There's so much you can do that I think is really exciting. Uh, exciting to think about and really think about your values. I think so many people are hesitant to talk about what's going to happen at death, even though we're all going to die. Every one of us um, at some point it is going to happen and we don't know when. And if we're not going to be able to use everything that we've earned, then why not think about really what we want to leave? Um, another part of that is thinking about how to prepare your family members for it. When do you start bringing them into conversation so they know what your plan is after they die? And how do you have those conversations and, and make those decisions and maybe start having your children manage assets while, they're, uh, while you're still living? So um, I digressed a bit from what you can do with that type of trust in terms of asset protection. And so if you leave to a spouse or children or anybody else <laughs> um, assets within an existing or an, uh, within a trust that never becomes part of their estate and you can set up up in a way that it gives them like another pot of money that can be protected and um, can either can separate from the rest of their estate. So ultimately making it more likely they'll be able to keep those assets protected from the potential for lawsuits or other losses. Another piece of the planning process is thinking through or ensuring that your family or whoever will be handling your estate knows what you have and where and how to access it. This has come up, just published an article on the blog recently talking about cryptocurrency and a story about someone that probably lost half a million dollars or more. Maybe it was 500 million. I know that's a big difference, but a whole ton of money because he hadn't told anyone how to access it and it's just gone. I cannot say that I understand cryptocurrency at all, but it points out the importance of planning and making sure that someone has access to everything. Um, so you can go through and write. I actually have... Um, a great webinar that I'll link to that I haven't thought about in a while to do it with something called a personal resource map. And then we also work with clients to do a family wealth inventory of all your assets and so that people know how to find them and really think through that and think about what you have and that you're 
uh, hitting all your bases. So something to think about there if you don't have that clearly organized. All right, I think I'm feeling close to wrapping up. I would love to answer any more specific questions on a future episode if this is something you enjoy. And to end, I think I was going to take a moment to talk about some things that I've been excited about that may be totally unrelated, but uh, it's my podcast, so I guess I get to do that. Maybe. Why not? I enjoy listening to other podcasts about people thinking, and so I'm not sure that I am yet developed enough in my own thinking for that to be interesting, but I guess you get to decide and you can turn it off. So one podcast that I've recently be, been loving, I've, I've listened to all of them so far, but as Ramit Sethi just started a new podcast talking to couples about money and it's a little sensationalized. He definitely, uh, it's kind of, I think, I don't watch talk shows and I never have much, but it seems a bit, uh, a little sensationalized, but it's good really good conversations. Um, I mean, real conversations, I think, uh, with couples about some of their money problems. And then he provides his own commentary and definitely does not hold back on his opinions. But Ramit, I've also just signed up for his newsletter. And I love thinking about what money means to us, working on my own money holdups and all, I love thinking and talking about m money. I mean, just in, I didn't grow up thinking I want to make a lot or caring about that at all, but really thinking of, that's part of my mindset and thinking about all the mind, the mindsets that each of us have and how we can work through that so that money supports us rather than just being a stressor. And so one thing that Ramit focuses on his book is, um, I'll teach you to be rich. And he focuses on a rich life of not just having or not even necessarily having lots of money, but getting to do what's important for you and thinking through not just cutting back on everything, but cutting back on the really big things that matter that aren't important to you. So he always uses the example of um, not really caring about cars and being happy with the same car forever and ever. Um, but he really loves to spend on convenience and having people do all the things for him that he doesn't like to do on a very personal level. So, um, and, and thinking through like for you, what is, what do you love to spend money on and expanding in those areas? That's been a big growth for me. I'd heard him on a podcast a long time ago about, you know, what he's challenged listeners to think about the area in your life you like most to spend money on and just 10xing it and like what just dreaming what could happen in that area in your life if you did that so I think a lot about that I think for us travel is a big one that's where I would have the goal of 10x and then housing I'm happy in a relatively small house and maybe making changes to it over time as we age and uh build our own wealth but but staying small and keeping that a minor minor part another thing i've been well i guess i'm 
well, for the last two years been thinking about is what next for my business and how to run it. And one thing I really, really want to do in the future is do more helping other businesses and helping not just on legal stuff, right? Not just your contracts or lease agreements, but also how to really grow a business and think strategically. So I had and still have amazing, amazing mentorship to build the business. Um, Something called New Law Business Model has provided initial training in estate planning and working with business owners. And I have a coach that I meet with regularly and then lots and lots of coaching calls where I can ask questions and really help on substantive, but then more mindset. And I'd like to do a lot of that, kind of take the health coaching. So I was trained as a health coach and move into business coaching, use some of those skills, hopefully, and more that I'm developing. Um, But I think as I grow, I'm learning the experience that will be more valuable to help others. So I guess I'm, uh, why would I be saying that otherwise than just sharing what's important to me, which maybe you don't really care about. Um, And uh, what I would say is that I, have access a really great program um, that I have yet to work with business owners to run them through. It's called Lyft Legal Insurance Financial Tax. And I'd love to find a group of business owners, local or not, to take through that program together um, and help each other. So I would facilitate If that's of interest to you, let me know. This winter might be a good time as we kind of settle in to, I don't know, summer just seemed like a weird, kind of a weird time. Work was a little less busy. I think people were doing other things and yet I feel like it was actually crazy. I don't know. It just went and it was like it was really busy. All right. With that, I think that I will wrap it up for this episode. I would love to hear from you. A, if you're listening to the podcast and if any of the episodes, what's resonated with you the most. Uh, B, if you have any questions. Well, let me actually back up. So I could do just uh, Facebook Q&A. And so any questions for that, or if you enjoyed this format on the podcast uh, and have questions that you would want me to answer in a future episode, I would love to do that. It could be about anything, estate planning or something else. And another ask, if you have ideas for other podcast guests that you'd like to either, if you are a potential guest, or if there's somebody in Southeast Alaska you'd like to hear from, or other topics, like I have ideas of getting folks on. I've had some clients that want um, their, uh, what am I thinking of? They want to be... Well, body farm is one. I've had a couple people that want to go to a body farm. So figuring that out, having a guest from, we're trying to get a guest on from a body farm. And if you are sensitive, don't go Google it. I'll just tell you. That means whether you um, are are left in a position. They Like the FBI, I think, does research on dis, uh, decomposition of bodies and how they'll do different studies with your body in terms of so basically they're leaving you out to rot in some weird circumstance so that's why i say don't go i I googled and was like oh okay um but i think that's awesome that people want to be used that way um but you get to decide and then some people want to 
um, have clients that want to be shot into space. Anyway, interested in some of those as well as local um, people in the finance space, life insurance, um, all kinds of um, senior services. I'm interested in having a lot of people on. So if you, or other transitions. So uh, I think next episode or maybe a future episode, I'm going to have a a guest on to talk about career transitions because there we go. I get to do what I want. So if you have an idea, let me know. And I would love to hear from you. Okay. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening. Take care. That's all for this week. You can find show notes for this show and prior episodes and future episodes at lizsmithlaw.com. And if you're interested in scheduling a meeting with us to find out what your next step would be for your estate planning, visit us at bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Again, that's bit.ly slash mygiftfromlsl. Or find the link at lizsmithlaw.com. We look forward to seeing you again right here, same place, same time, two weeks from now. Thank you so much.